You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 634, the never-ending rise of Taylor Swift, buying Madonna an alarm clock, the collapse of Pitchfork, and farewell to Melanie Safka, Frank Farian, and Marlena Shaw. That's all coming up after Sublime and What I Got. going after 36 years but now with the son of the original guitarist and singer as the front man so how time passes um, right. and a no show on billboard 71 in the uk in 1996 but played on the radio everywhere that summer sublime and what i got absolutely uh, this is a very sort of spiky hair big shorted sort of era isn't it really yes. um, it, I can yeah I, it's almost like I'm expecting to watch VH1 with these people popping up I do like the sunrise sunset of the sort of family business aspect of this I must say very good anyway yes. I enjoyed that welcome on board the parish council it's episode 634 i'm terence stackham and surely now with jürgen klopp standing down at <laughs> liverpool surely this is a big chance for a premier league role let's ask juliet harris 
Well, it would seem that every sort of 30 seconds there's a new opening in the Premier League at the moment. Nobody gets any time at all anymore, do they? There's, there's, you know, there's a few games you don't win, you're done. I you're mean, gone. poor old Troy, Troy, what's his name the other oh, week? 30 Just days. Well, yes, indeed. Yeah. Even less than Clough, who he, he was right that his team were not very good and they were quite lazy. And he made the <laughs> fatal mistake of saying this and was then given his marching orders and was the fifth manager in 16 months. Sure. It's the players at the issue. Anyway, I'm not sure I really want to. I, I would probably I would probably take Troy's approach and I would probably last even shorter amount of time than he did. Yeah. So I I feel I feel that we will miss Klopp and his emotional intelligence and his excellent statements and, and his his brilliant talent. I'm sorry that Jurgen is popping off. But um if only more managers did what he did and thought, Do you know what? I've done really, really well. Yes. I might still do quite well this season. I'm probably not gonna do much better on these resources where I am maybe it's time to go off and do something else if more people did well if our old friend Jose Mourinho did no, that if, if he'd done that him. if yes. he'd done that 13 years ago he'd be mad, he'd be one of the all-time yes. greats I'd, I'd want to avoid the law of ever diminishing returns so I won't be taking any premiership Fair job play. at Fair all play. hello everybody just before we get underway, I'm just going to throw you a quick statistic I picked oh, up this week from Billboard. As, mm. our, as our big breakfast pals would have it, a vital statistic. A vital yes. statistic from Billboard. Last year, 2023, one mm. in every 15 vinyl records sold in the United States was by Taylor Swift. Wow, well, that, that, that's a lot. That is a devil of a lot. And one in every 78 songs to have been streamed in the US in 2023 Goodness was by Taylor me. Swift. She's, she's unstoppable, Jules. As they say in The Simpsons, when uh, when Homer Simpson in the B-Sharps is attempting to, mm. is, is joking about the Statue of Liberty and they donate, he said, uh, I'm dedicating this song to this woman that's, that's you know, however many metres high and however many hundreds of pounds, and a character does not realise what he is saying on the ship and says, this enormous woman will devour us all, and jumps off the, uh, <laughs> jumps off the boat in a panic. Truly in Taylor Swift, this enormous woman will devour us all. I feel that it's increasingly Taylor mm. Swift's world and we are just living in it. We've already spoken on the podcast about how she alters the economy, the local economies of various cities Indeed. in America, depending on whether or not the Eras Tour rolls into town, <laughs> brings thousands and thousands and thousands of people and they're spending money with it. I mean, do you know what? Fair play to her, really. I I, I can't bring myself to be to have any kind of right take on this. The music, no. she's involved in producing and writing a lot of her own music. <clears throat> she did that excellent project recently where she got hold of the masters off that that villain Doctor Luke or whatever he's called, mm. and and she got all the masters back and is recording all of her uh, re-record or lost the masters and is re-recording all her own albums as a result, and um and is is great and is and and you know so involved in her own stuff seems to be a nice person is pleasant to her fans um good for her I'm just really pleased and how nice that it's a, a, a youngish nice woman rather than the same old hoary rock act that is that is doing this I wish her well I'm pleased I've got a serious question for you and I promise you this is a serious question okay all right if Taylor Swift stood for president would she get elected She'd be in with a reasonable shout, mm. I think. It would it would depend which way she tacked, I think, as well. She's in a position a bit like Eminem is, in that I suspect a lot of their well, perhaps more so in the past, because Taylor Swift, don't forget, started off as a sort of a country act, mm. really. Fair She's enough. become progressively more pop as the years have gone on. And 
and Eminem, of course, has a big sort of Rust Belt fan base. And we talked about this, I think, when we had the presidential elections in 2020. And right. Eminem came out against Trump. And it was a really brave thing to do for him still, although you could argue, yes, he's made all his money already. It was still, I think, a brave thing to do because a large portion of 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 uh, Eminem's sort of disillusioned younger fan base is is in Trump country, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of Taylor, okay, a lot of Taylor Swift fans now, and the more metropolitan pop fans that would support her supporting the Democrats, which I believe she has come out as doing, but her sort of old school, how much of her base is still the old school, mm-hmm. and how would they react to that? So it would be interesting it, to it, see. It'd be fascinating see, to get a chance to find out. Run, although I, I worry mm-hmm. sort of in this era of Trump, and I have this horrible feeling we're going to be talking more about themes around this mm-hmm. as the year continues. Um, there was a very good night. This is sort of, this is, I think, relevant to perhaps where Taylor Swift's sort of politics are and where people's, where, where sort of celebrities the more liberal-leaning celebrities' politics are. And, that, of course, they would have been, you know, they were Hillary Clinton supporters and all that kind of stuff, and that very much didn't work against the juggernaut of Trump. And Nikki Haley was the sort of, is, is the last woman standing, literally, against Trump in the Republican race for the Nair nomination. And there was a very good headline in The Guardian which just summed it up, and it just said, and you didn't really need to read the piece, Nikki Haley is running to lead a Republican party that no longer exists. And I think that a lot of these, these uh, uh, Taylor Swift might well find in the same way. I think, you know, Beyonce, I would put in this as well. You know, Michelle Obama. If any of them ran to be president in any other time, you'd go, yeah, they'd walk it. They'd win by miles. They're such impressive people. You know, they have sensible, inclusive views. You know, who would disagree with those? But in the world of Trump, in the age of anger... They, Taylor Swift might find herself, may well find herself running to lead a country that no longer exists. Mm, that's a very good point. I mean, with the, certainly the Republican Party, uh, Trump has changed it forever um, because they um, collapsed into his world. And yes, absolutely. Have become, uh, a party that now I suspect um, presidents of the, even as, as recently as the 60s and 70s oh, yes. from the Republican Party would not recognise and want to have no part no, of it. it, feels, it feels, I mean, I mean, even the, the Bushes had nothing. But, you know, yes, the Bushes think, almost certainly didn't exactly. vote for him, did they? Yeah. And, and even Reagan. And, you know, that's that sort of like you yeah, say, it's, it's a death cult rather rather yeah. than a party. And it's just a, it's a very strange, it's a very strange thing, isn't it, really? And this idea that, you know, would you feel like saying in a way, would Taylor Swift win? part of you feels like saying to the Democrats, well, you're going to have to do something, aren't you? You're going to have to do something different. This is not, Biden is not tenable. What what else are you going to do? So it would be, it'd be interesting to see. Well, we happened to ponder last week about the fate mm. of the old UK gladiators Indeed. from the original show. Indeed, is there a retirement home for these people? <laughs> yes. yes, in 1992. And you know, you, you mentioned last week you th- that you thought one or two of them had gone off in interesting directions. And now you've discovered that life has, well, I suppose we could say that life has been kinder to some more than others. Yes, I think that is a fair way of doing it. We we said previously, you know, what happened to the referee, John Anderson? Why didn't they bring him back? Because he's 92, it turns <laughs> out, which is extremely Except depressing for. for those of us that still think of ourselves as being young. Um, it's the original gladiators. You remember what a sort of a, a, a weird mix of people they were in that they were sort of... Um, so you had the former boxer of that is Cobra, who um, who used to do the splits and kick his legs up in the air. Um, 
he had a habit of turning up drunk, which meant he very nearly got oh, fired. Um, he was seriously ill in hospital in Kent in 2019, but um, he is—he is still—he has apparently gone back to work as a motivational speaker. So um, oh, I feel well, that that's, I, that's I find Cobra from Gladiators very motivating. Yeah, I must say, Jet from Gladiators, who was everyone's pin-up, Diane Udale. Um, Went on to present. Well, the last one seemed to be Polymath. She went on to star in TV shows, present dance shows, and she trained as a psychiatrist. Wow. So, um, I, I again, I would feel I could be motivated by Cobra, and I feel that my inner psyche would benefit from a visit from Jet from Gladiators. So there is a, <laughs> there's a, um, it was I, I thought the other week I couldn't remember who it was that had become a, a, a Christian evangelist. Turns out that it was Ace that is that was involved in York Cathedral that was originally originally a gladiator and now is um, a uh, sort of a, a, a lay minister I think or something. So um, so so good for him. Um, yes, like you said, a very strange mix of people. Hunter from Gladiators. It turns out is an actor and has toured in Peter, Peter Hall's As You Like It, which was not <laughs> a which was not a not a twist. I was. Expecting. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I wasn't expected to say that. Um, I, um, I, a panther from a gladiators. It turned out oh, some of these people had quite impressive careers, careers before gladiators. Now I say impressive careers. This, uh, you'd be not shocked to know that bodybuilding is not my thing, Sir Terence. It's not oh, a world which oh, I inhabit okay. very much. And neither of us, perhaps, mm. a specialist in this. No, but, I, it's not. It's not my world either. No. no. So panther. What a great name for a gladiator, by the way. That's banging. Helen O'Reilly, aka Panther. If indeed that is your real name, Ms. O'Reilly. Um, began as a contestant in bodybuilding competitions. So she has reigned as. And you know sort of when when boxers have lots of belts at once and they're mm. different things. Or when, you know, perhaps sometimes, like, do you remember when the Lib Dems lost lots of their seats in 2015 and everybody had to have about six jobs in their shadows? Yes, of course. Because yeah. there weren't enough of them. Well, she so Panther has reigned as Miss Central Britain, Miss Europe, Miss North Britain, Miss England, Miss World, Miss Great Britain, Miss Russia, and Miss Universe. Oh, my, my word, she's... Travelled the globe and, and well, indeed been, the galaxies. She has been everywhere. Uh, Saracen became a firefighter. Um, uh, Rhino has appeared in films. Um, so Rhino has been in the background of films such as Batman Begins, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and bizarrely Argo, that that political thriller that mm. had Ben Affleck, and you can pot, spot Rhino from that. Um, there's a uh, wolf, uh, everyone's favourite wolf, the big bad wolf, who was actually, I believe, a very nice man. We said the other week ended up in Squid Game, um, the first round oh, of the yes, recent yes. revival. Um, he's now in his 70s. Um, he also appears in the Kiwi cage fighting scene. Now, I'm not sure how expensive that is, but that sounds quite exciting. Apparently, when he returned to the Sky Reach Vamp in 2008, um, Apparently, his standing ovation upon entering the arena held up filming for eight minutes. So um, oh, that's a popular man. And also, people that you never knew were gladiators. I've completely forgotten about this. The swimmer, Sharon Davis, was a gladiator. And in later series, she was Amazon, yes. apparently. She um, she probably, she's commentated on the Olympics. I'd say she probably has the best sporting uh the best sporting prowess, I think, really. But there have been some, there've been some really um, some. Uh, there's one called Zodiac who now runs adventure boot camps with Daley Thompson. I'd go on a boot camp with oh, Daley yes. Thompson and Zodiac, wouldn't you? Yes, I would, yeah. wouldn't you? And also R.I.P. Falcon, who passed away yeah. in March 2023. So they've been in 
They do now. They've been everywhere. These gladiators, like you said, some have been some mm. have been high, some have been low. But you know, we could go and see all these people, said Terence. I'd like to go. And, I'd like to get on the couch with Jet. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to go fighting fires with Saracen. I'd like to go on adventures with all of these people. When I was looking at the gladiator names from the original UK, yeah. nineteen ninety-two, I couldn't help but notice a heavy tinge of racism in the naming of the gladiators. Yeah. I'm sorry to report this. I know, it's because horrible. many with non-white skin were given names such as Saracen, Shadow. Nightshade. Um, Nightshade, yes, absolutely. So happily they appear to have avoided this in the yes, new 2024 season. We've moved on in what, uh, was that, 30 years or so, isn't it, almost? Yeah. I mean, so, to be fair, that's quite, that's quite quick movement for some areas of TV. Yes, so, indeed. Uh, but anyway, I am glad we've moved past. Yeah. Last week we talked about Madonna confusing Toronto for Boston when she ran on stage uh, recently. It's easy to do. At least she didn't think she was in Lincolnshire. It could have been worse. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Good evening, Louth. Yes, indeed. Hello, Swindon. (laughs) Also, a few weeks ago, we mentioned Lauren Hill's long-time aversion to starting gigs on time. Indeed. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Madonna has joined the Tardy gang by... She started a gig in New York two hours late. But the twist this time Mm. is that two audience members are suing her because, to quote, they were left stranded in the middle of the night in New York. Exactly. Uh, in the I Guardian, mean, to be fair, it's better than being stranded in Boston, Lincolnshire in the middle of the night. But still, I can see their point. <laughs> in the Guardian this week, the writer Simon Price mm. um, wrote about how he has experienced artists appearing very late many times. And as he says, and again, a quote from Simon Price, what do we want from performers to be there and actually perform and barring acts of gods show up at approximately the advertised time? And he's right, of course, Jules. Of course he is. Yeah. So by the way, um, I believe Simon Bright lives in the uh, Price lives in the Brighton area, and I do occasionally see him walking down the lanes, and he always looks splendid with he his hair. Is. Do you know the last time I saw him? He sat in front of me at Kate Bush's um, gig at Hammersmith Odeon in August 2014. Excellent. And the good thing about his hair is is that it's in separated spikes. So actually, I can imagine he's a very tall man. That would have been quite easy to see through that, wouldn't it? Yes, he didn't obstruct my view despite the hair. (laughs) Well done, Simon Price. Anyway, so it's always nice to see him resplendent. Um, In the same way as when I saw Fatboy Slim in Hove Cult once, he was wearing a flowery shirt, which made me think that it is just them it's not a brand <laughs> it's how they live their lives so i'm very pleased but anyway name dropping celeb spotting aside yeah simon price is spot on he, he usually is and um, and actually as he puts it here although there's been a lot of eye rolling about this lawsuit and you know these crazy litigious americans where there's a blame there's a claim but I I rather sit like him. I sympathise with them because the lawsuit con, you know contains the argument many ticket holders who attended concerts on a weeknight had to get up early to go to work and or take care of their family responsibilities the next day. Yes, in other words, people in the real world with lives that have to get on can't can't wait i mean i i you know i i'm filled with dread if i go to a gig in the middle of the week and the stage time the main if if the headline is not on until quarter past nine i already feel Mm. absolutely filled with dread you basically have to be stereo lab or bell and sebastian for me to see you (laughs) midweek if you if you kick off past nine o'clock as a headliner and i think this is a really good um 
There's a really good um, sort of quote here when he says, some musicians see their job as a lifelong holiday from responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Such lowly quotidian concerns such as having to work the next day, getting home in the middle of the night, or sorting out childcare are for the little people. Too banal for renegade superstars to worry about. Turning up on time doesn't go with the lifestyle. Punctuality isn't punk. And he says, full disclosure, my own punctuality is poor. I'm not proud of that, and I don't think it makes me rock and roll. But he, you know, you just get to the point where and he makes a good point here he says the madonna story takes place amongst the backdrop it's culture is changing regarding late nights now it turns Mm. out i'm not alone in not being keen on late weeknights students and young people don't drink the way they used to dry january is finishing off pubs left right and center apparently um There are earlier curfews now. Um, Vicky McClure, the actor, and her husband, Johnny Owen, the writer, actor, and producer, have got this afternoon club called Day Fever in Sheffield. (laughs) Not only did they sell out the first one, they're doing a tour of really big cities and quite big sort of, I think they're sort of like casino ballroom type places. So they're not arenas, but they're sizable venues. And um, they, I'm just looking this up now because there's clearly a huge appetite for this. Dave Uber UK sold as the disco, the daytime disco that doesn't ruin your Saturday. That's on on a Saturday uh, or Sunday. That's on a Saturday afternoon. They've got dates in, London, Manchester, Sheffield, Merthyr Tidfield, Nottingham and Glasgow, and they've all sold out. Yeah, I think, that, so, I so think it's, that's marvellous. Yeah. That would suit me. I, I'm, I'm all for it myself. It's everyone, frankly. Mm. So, so basically what I think Simon Price is saying, which is right, is... Um, is is just that that you know we're not in this world anymore. Um, I love this story from him. Lateness is one thing, but shows that are objectively awful are another complaint worthy category. In 1995, I was present at what was wrongly billed as a Wu Tang Clan show in Ilford that, in reality, involved ODB, whose full name I will not give here, uh, unassisted by any other clan members, mumbling listlessly over a CD. He made the mistake of staging an open night rap battle, open mic rap battle in which he was spectacularly owned by a local kid. I paid £12.50 to get in this place to see this bleep. It's an effing disgrace, rap the child. So um, it's pretty, um, you know, it's, it's, there are sometimes extenuating yeah. circumstances. He talks about Amy Winehouse, talks about Whitney Houston. Um, he says other times there's no such excuse. I love how Liam Gallagher remains Liam Gallagher at all times. I often don't know how that man gets through a day. I can't help but like him because he's open about he's at one with his dopiness. Um, apparently, he didn't realise that they were performing two nights at Nebworth in 1996 <laughs> and got so drunk after the first one that oh, he couldn't really function for the second one. Oh, so, um, dear, dear, so, dear. so, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a difficult mm. one. Um, you know, it's it's. But then, having said that, I can understand why. You know, sometimes great moments happen from these things, princes and notorious all night shows and that sort of thing. But yeah, I do think you know you just need to show some respect for your audience. Mm. These people that are paying you money, I I just I do find it rude. I just can't get away from that really. No, the only qualification I would give uh, is when Simon Price says show up at approximately the advertised time. I would be even more rigorous, and I would say exactly the advertised time. I mean, because we you know, we don't get this in the theatre, or, or in fact, mm. at sport. I, I mean, imagine going to ch- see Chelsea play Liverpool at Wembley, and the game starts two hours late 
because one of the goalkeepers has decided to have an extra couple of hours in bed. You know, it's just ludicrous to, Absolutely. to consider. Absolutely. I think that we, I suppose to be fair to Madonna, um, Live Nation gave a quote this week. They're saying it was a technical issue that caused the delay, um, which if that is the case, the two blokes who are suing may have a, an uphill climb. I yeah, suspect. quite possibly. I am sorry, chaps. Coming right up, the downfall of Pitchfork and the implication for online media in particular. Mm. That's next after Get Down Services. Arrived late, feeling kind of weird, and I try my best to read the room. Aside fate, I think I've seen you here, and the locksmith starts to move. I'm fit to burst, I'm at my worst, I'm at the bottom line hustling. Across my my ear my luggles my earways um, from Spotify's algorithm the other day increasingly I'm hearing a lot of um, a lot of music in this way um, I obviously decided that I wanted sort of slacker rock with not with sort of people sort of sp- speaking rather than singing um, 
I don't know much about this band. Um, they, they have an album called Crisp, so I like them already, frankly, even before I'd heard <laughs> any of the music. And they're called Get Down Services. Um, they haven't been going on very long, I don't think. They seem quite new. Um, there's very little about them, actually, online. But um, I, I heard that song. I rather liked it, and I thought you'd like it too, and that we're, we'd all like to hear it together. So that was uh, Get Down Services, and um, I wish it didn't bother me, said Terence. It- it's new to me as well i really loved that i really Mm. did and i'm going to listen to more of them Uh, that the album i made a little note on a post-it note to uh, play that tomorrow i I, I really did love that i appreciate that thank you seti earlier i just happened to notice a story tucked away in a corner of the website of the los angeles times and Mm. to cut a short story even shorter more than 20 percent of the newsroom 115 people are being laid off uh currently i know the la times is losing 30 to 40 million 30 to 40 million dollars each year that's crazy uh, what yeah well quite and here's the thing um subscriptions and advertising are both down and heading downwards and Mm. i i mentioned this because we want to look at what on the surface looks like a peculiar case that of pitchfork the Mm. online music magazine founded in 1996 mainly known for its extensive reviews yeah it it did seem a bit odd when pitchfork was acquired by condé nast Mm. uh, the publishing moguls yes that smelled bad yeah it it just seemed an unlikely uh, merger or whatever you want to call it in 2015 but um or or pick up by condé nast really but now we find nine years on that pitchfork is being absorbed into condé nast um men's magazine gq Mm. and that means multiple layoffs but here we are again falling advertising revenue is at the heart of this decision Mm. um jules times change um advertisers now look elsewhere and target their their budgets much more concisely but this is a trend that is simply going to continue and widen if anything yeah i completely agree um it's it's a it's a real shame. Pitchfork is I've always enjoyed Pitchfork as a website. I haven't always agreed with Pitchfork's opinions, have it in its rating systems. Having said that, that's kind of why I enjoy it really. I like how opinionated Pitchfork is. Um in a world where which you know, music press and opinionated music press like the old school enemy sort of dropping away. So I thought it was one of the last bastions of the of the online you know, of any sort of music press really. I was sorry to hear of its acquisition um Condé Nast aren't going to do anything with it that is like the old pitchfork are they they're not going to they're not going to you know the, the fact that they are um they didn't the usual thing um Anna Wintour emailed staff to say they were ev- I hate this this bull speak Sir Terence mm. see how you get on with this I don't like it evolving our pitchfork team structure by bringing the team into the GQ organization um cue mm. half an hour later employees tweeting about their redundancies um yes. executive editor Amy Phillips had been there more than 18 years and was made redundant um so you know what team is going to be left it's going to be it's going to go the way of of local press in this country um in that it's you know local press in this country is increasingly turned into um 
sort of clickbait, if it you feel what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, it these, you know, and I, I, I very much enjoy Paul Sinner um, posts the the more witless examples of where him and his husband get get sort of you know meals they've had out are written up by the local press as you know star eats in Dorsetshire restaurant or, or whatever it is, and and. It's. I just find it so depressing, really, because and and particularly as Pitchfork had a really strong brand. I mean, it, it, perhaps you know, it's not it's not McDonald's, but do you know what I mean. Everyone sort of knew what Pitchfork was. It had a very big following. Um, it was one of the last bastions in what had previously been a very crowded space. So you'd think that there would be a way that that would be sustainable. But I, I, you know. The, the Pitchfork had hundreds of freelancers working for it. I'm not entirely sure why it was bought out, to be honest, really. I I hadn't heard of it making huge losses. I'm just a bit confused, really, Sir Terence. I'm a bit confused as to why these... It feels in the same way as, as people that move from London to seaside towns. Um, I'm not, I don't object to that. What I do object to is people moving to a seaside town and then trying to strip it of all personality and make it like the place they've just come from. There was an incident near me in, on St Leonard's Seafront where there was a, 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 a fish and chip hut that painted... And actually, I thought it looked quite good. It was, it was sort of graffiti-esque, but a large large painting of a fish across its pitched roof and um, one of the local residents opposite i say look it turns out they have moved down from london um complained that it wasn't in keeping to which we mm. said the thing that was not in keeping was this person it's a seaside town they sell fish and chips you know and and, and the house had been painted battleship gray everybody moves down here and paints the house battleship gray <laughs> and you know opens opens the junk shop they had in london and i just find it so frustrating and i and and you know i I feel like saying to Condé Nast and GQ, why buy these institutions and then gut them and hollow them out? What are you buying? What is the point? People like the same audience is not going to go back to Pitchfork now that, you know, you're just going to do trashy clickbait. We all know what's happened. We all know what's going to happen. I said the word peculiar earlier, and it, you're right. It certainly tallies in with the choice of Anna Wintour being the executive mm. from Condé Nast who emailed the, the bad news to Pitchfork employees. It's interesting to note as well, I think, that Condé Nast itself announced only six weeks ago that it was cutting its own staffing levels by 5%, and I suspect more will follow, yeah. because of, and here we go again, digital advertising pressures, a decline in social media traffic, and shifting audience behaviours. Um, well, that that could mean almost anything, really. Mm. But I, I, I wanted to say a quick word about what you you said about. Well, I it refer. I think why Pitchfork is on a downturn anyway, and you may not agree with this. And again, I'm sorry, anybody, I may be being a bit controversial. <laughs> but um, Pitchfork, in an age of TikTok. YouTube and particularly streaming services. Why do I need anyone to review a new album? I don't have to risk 10 or 20 quid or more in a store if there is a new release. In the old days, if um, one of my, if Nick Kent gave somebody a good review in the New Musical Express, then I knew that I might be on pretty safe ground because we know I knew and probably shared the same taste. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't need Pitchfork. I can preview it myself on Spotify. And if I was someone who purchases physical products, then I can decide for myself if I like it and want to buy the CD or vinyl album. And that's where I want to come to you, Jules. As someone who does buy CDs and vinyl, surely um, 
you you must preview listen to the music um before you head to the record shop sometimes not always if it's an really? artist's work i already like then usually i don't to be honest if it's if it's pj harvey or stereo lab or someone like that or ben and sebastian just buy the record usually or, or what i might do is see them live and then if i for example, like the last couple of times I've seen Ben and Sebastian, I haven't bought the album beforehand, but then I've heard it and liked it and bought it afterwards. Um, but these are your, excuse me for butting in, but these yeah. are your top artists. Yeah, what Pitchfork yeah. did was to have a wide, wide spread yeah. over virtually all new music yeah, and then, as you say, review it and, 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 and the system of marking and so on. Yeah, so that, I, but, I, and of course, I'm, what I'm, I suppose yeah. I'm saying is that Spotify yeah. has taken that role. Yes, and, and you know, you're probably not wrong. The only thing thing the thread i can grasp back to back this back but i, I think you're probably ultimately right it is so much easier to mm. preview stuff for ourselves now particularly with the algorithm as well that we often talk about that throws well, you indeed, how you came like. across the track we just indeed. heard and a lot of the music that i picked for this but um the only thing i can think of is i think we've talked previously about how many new tracks get loaded up to spotify mm. every single day um maybe there is a place for a sifting possibly I still enjoy um I still enjoy buying the monthly music magazines, Mojo and Uncut, and they have an excellent fifteen track C D each of them that you get every month with the month's best new music that they've put together on it. And I find it very essential listening. I think it's really good. I still find a lot of music that way. But you're probably right that I am an exception rather than a rule and I think that the vast majority of people probably use Spotify now. It's a shame because writing about music is a lovely thing, but um yeah, I I don't disagree with you. By the way, one of America's most famous titles, I know, 70 years plus, mm. I think, Sports Illustrated, yes. also seems to be in huge trouble. Mass layoffs last week, great mm. uncertainty whether it'll even survive. And um, just to bring the gloom closer to home here in the UK, Channel mm. 4 announced yes. a, range, a, a round of major job cuts due to, wait for it, the worst advertising downturn in 15 years. So we're really going through a dis- decisive period of change, I think. On that front, how long before commercial broadcasters in the UK begin to turn their eye on the BBC and ask why they in the commercial sector are battling each other for advertisers while the BBC has guaranteed income from taxpayers? Well, they, yes, you, that, that's a good point. I sense that I sense that won't be a row they're having to have for very long at this rate. So although having said that, the BBC does put out an incredibly wide range of services compared to one or two single individual channels. But, I, you know, I, 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 I can see that as a point. Um, I thought it was, very, it was very sad that Channel 4, very interesting and sad that Channel 4 described the, de- the sudden downturn in advertising as shock con- market shock conditions. So, <laughs> so this doesn't seem to be like a sort of a doesn't seem to be like a kind of a this does genuinely seem to be like an overnight thing and and I think this is like many things and I know we're probably all sick of Covid now and feel like it's in the past but it feels like Covid was was the, the Covid and the pandemic times were an accelerator for all sorts of things I think I think they 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 suddenly up it suddenly up the ante on a lot of things which have been declining slowly for for many years and then all of a sudden it seems like COVID took a veil away and it, and it really did accelerate lots of social change. I mean, you know, looking at uh, the sort of the property market, the, the the sector that I work in, lots of, lots of you know, companies, when you're looking at sort of, when they're talking about making cuts, lots of people trying to get rid of offices because their employees don't want to work in them anymore and they're expensive course, yeah. and hard to service. And even if you do want, employees do want to work in an office, 
it's much cheaper to give them all laptops and send them home, isn't it, rather than have a big old building in the centre of centre of London town. So, yeah, it's 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 very discombobulating, Sir Terence. It's it's I find it difficult to dwell on. I must say. What's next? I'll tell you, it's a series of farewells. Uh, Melanie Safka, Mary Weiss, Frank Farian and Marlena Shaw. Um, that's coming up, that's right after Lady Ray. If you want to pack your bags, go on ahead. Ain't no use in being friends if you can't hear what I'm saying.
been playing her three albums a lot recently. I just, what a voice. I mean, th- this is mm. a track from her 2016 album, Queen Alone, the excellent Lady Ray and Do It Again. Yeah, that was really good. New to me, but I very much enjoyed it. I um, I read a number of people on social media this week saying, oh, no, why are so many people dying? Um, referring to famous musicians whose obituaries were published this week, uh, published this week. But of course, the reality is that if we establish the beginning of pop stroke rock um, to around 1960 to 63, then anyone who was 20 when they found stardom is now going to be well into their 80s. Oh, absolutely. Sadly, the sense of time will mean an increasing number of obits, uh, to put it nicely. Um, You know, this is going to be a regular occurrence now. Um, The the impact of the Shangri-Las in the mid-60s was immense. Uh, We were getting used to the girl groups, especially the Supremes, Mm. Motown groups. But the Shangri-Las were were very different. Their songs had a a heavy air of sadness and tragedy. And each single was like a a novelette or the soundtrack to um, a TV soap. They they were tough girls. And I'll never forget Mm. how I felt. I was very young, but I felt really rather scared and fearful when, <laughs> as a young boy, I heard, I can never go home anymore. Um, the the lead single of the Shangri-Las, uh, Mary Wise, died this week at the age of 75. Jules, um, do you ever shiver at the melancholy of Mary Wise and the Shangri-Las? I mean, yeah, you're right. They had a really hard edge to them, didn't mm. they? I remember buying my, my dad very much grew up, uh, like you. He, he's, he's older than you, but, but in the sort of era of girl groups, he was very much keen on girl groups and sort of women singers and that sort of thing and I often buy him there's lots of compilations not just the um the dream coats and petticoats series which is excellent dream boats and petticoats which is really good actually I would recommend it sort of if you have relatives of a certain era that that still listen to hard copy things they are good Christmas <laughs> presents by and large and you can mm. get them cheaply in places like HMB I'm not being paid for this by the way they're just really good <laughs> there was a really good compilation that I got him years ago that I read about in the Guardian that was called Death Discs that describes a subset of American pop that was popular from late 50s to mid 60s also known as the teenage tragedy song or perhaps somewhat less tastefully a splatter platter um that always ended in someone dying near the end and of course the ultimate splatter platter uh, platter leader of the pack by the shangri-las with the revving of the motorbike terry by twinkle another excellent example in the sub sub genre of songs involving motorcycle deaths but um yeah they were they really had that like you say there was there was a real sort of um despite the fact that they all have matching hairdos and they have bobby socks and all that kind of stuff there was something a lot darker about them than mm. compared to lots of lots of other sort of bands there was sort of you know i can't imagine many parents being that thrilled about you liking them um you know remember walking in the sand it was all real melodrama wasn't mm. it? it was all turned up very loudly the fe- the feelings in a perhaps a typically teenaged way really but i've i've always been rather a fan of them and um, particularly their um particularly their uh, like i say their 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 enhanced sense of sort of dramatics um yeah it's uh, they they were they were really great actually um i'm sorry they didn't have a very prolonged career actually compared to compared to people like um like the Supremes, for example, it felt like they were sort of the first wave of the girl groups, but they never really, they just sort of disintegrated, really. They they didn't seem to, um, 
they didn't seem to have many great albums or lots of great yeah. singles, really, apart from the ones we've mentioned, I would say. I doubt they made very much money. I know they all went off to get, uh, mm. as we like to say, normal jobs. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Frank Farian died this week at 82, and many will remember all the fuss about Millie Vanilli yeah, that he produced. Um, of course, the, the, you know, the duo lip-synced the vocals amidst much controversy, yeah, but he is. had form with such matters as he had earlier yeah. masterminded the much more successful Boney M. And Farian actually sang the male vocal parts himself, even though the Caribbean singer Bobby Farrell appeared mm. as the frontman and when they were having hits I honestly genuinely did rather naively wonder Bobby Farrell seemed to sing with a German accent um <laughs> now I subsequently understand um yeah it makes more sense doesn't it but what a great run of hits Jules Daddy Cool Mar Baker Rivers of Babylon and of course Ra Ra Rasputin one of the greatest pop machines of the 1970s <laughs> for sure and you know they're always derived it makes me laugh and perhaps this goes back to our, our friends at Pitchfork um, or soon to be friends formerly of Pitchfork yes. um, they would not rate Boney M I suspect it would not do well out of 10 on their rating no. it would not do very well in the music magazines I've referenced and you know what Boney M did in Britain in the 70s they sold and sold and sold and sold records I spent years harbouring harbouring a grudge and a grievance nursing a grievance um, the Shangri-La should have made one of their their teenage melodrama records about the fact that my mum wouldn't let me go and see Boney M on my 13th birthday. That really does deserve a sort of a, a splatter platter. I was very displeased about that. Um, I, I really love Boney M. And, you know, they, they're, they're dismissed as being a bit naff. Those records are bomb-proof when it comes mm. to play, playing them out at discos. And turns out there was a dance remix of Ra Ra Rasputin recently. And I might have told the story in the pod before. I'm sorry if I have, but um, hopefully it was long enough ago that people won't remember it or, or we're happy to hear it again. Another chance to revisit the time Jim's that greatest I... greatest hits. Indeed. I, I DJed a family party for some lovely people a couple of years. It would have been a couple of years ago now. And... Um, and uh, it was last year, and it was last year, this time last year, and it was towards the end of January, and I was, and the brief I was given was, it was ostensibly a birthday party, the younger child was turning 18, and all of her friends were, were there, but also the whole family was there as well, so it was basically 18 to 80 was the kind of the brief, and... I played all sorts of records and everyone had a lovely time. And I played Ra Ra Rasputin and me and, and two friends of sort of original 70s vintage stood open mouthed as every single 18 year old in the building, of which there were many, knew every single word to Ra Ra Rasputin. And uh, the, the, the chaps did the Cossack dance group was excellent. Turns out there'd been a dance remix and it was used in the TV programme Sex Education. But uh-huh. just goes to show... It was resurrected for a new generation. Music like that will never die. It will always appeal to people because it's really good. And actually, do you know what? In the real world, you know, the Shangri-Las didn't write that music, did they? This has all been happening forever. You know, there's always been sort of, you know, Motown was a was a hit factory that had people fronting it, didn't it? it, was, it if you put it... If you put it that way, it's no different to Stock Aitken and Waterman, Waterman, is it? But although having said that, I do think the music is better. But um, but you see what I mean? There's always been factories in pop. And, you know, Boney M is always, dis- uh, they're always dismissed as being a bit naff. Why? People really liked their music. And it is actually, it genuinely has some merit. It's not like the sausage roll people, the pestilence that kept, that kept you know, kept lab baby, that kept popping the Christmas charts up. They have finally um, retired as Ben 
spend more time um, more time not making us all buy sausage rolls. Anyway, um, I, I just I think the music is decent. The fact that it stood the test of time. If music isn't decent, it doesn't stand the test of time. This is my rule. This is why the seventies Christmas tunes are in our charts for six weeks every year because they're really good because it's well constructed and it's music that's 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 had thought given to it if thought isn't given to music and it's trashy disposable pop then it will go it won't it won't stand the test of time so actually r.i.p frank varian the fact that i had 18 year olds dancing to rara rasputin at a disco in 2023 makes me think that his legacy will, will live on far beyond some of pitchfork's favorite bands I would take Ra Ra Rasputin over the sausage roll people every single time. Any so, sane person yeah. would. We also say fare thee well this week to Melanie Sathka, known always by her first name, Melanie. Um, mm. She appeared at Woodstock, and uh, was, mm. but she was one of those artists, along with Creedence Clearwater Revival, Incredible String Band, The Band Blood, Sweat and Tears, amongst several mm. others, who didn't appear in the movie. Mm. And that was crucial because it was the movie that uh, thrust many other yes, exactly. acts into stardom. My favourite song of hers, though, was a song in which she wrote about appearing at Woodstock called Lay mm. Down Candles in the Rain with the Edwin Hawkins, Edwin Hawkins Singers. Mm. Um, but she's more widely remembered, Jules, for a rather childlike song about roller skates. Yes, Brand New Key by Melanie. Killed her owns, career. It did, which is a shame because it's actually rather a sweet song. But unfortunately, like you say, it gave an impression of her which was tending towards the novelty. Um, it was interesting. And so I did a music round at a quiz um, a few months ago and I did an audio round in which I asked people to give me the, the, the name of the of the artist and the name of the song and and, and to give me the theme. And the theme was um, that they um, that they all were associated with modes of transport. So um, so train in vain by the clash. And I tried to make I tried to make this sort of multi-generational because there were lots of different ages attending. So we had driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo. It was interesting to see what songs were got and what weren't. And Brand New Key, firstly, anybody under the age of 45 had no chance whatsoever. We worked out from the from the stats mm. afterwards. So, so it hadn't really stood, that it hadn't really been held up as a test of time. And even people that were alive when the song was out were struggling to remember it. It was interesting. It hasn't exactly been fated as a classic, which is a shame because it's rather sweet. She appeared on the Jules Holland Hooter Nanny in 2019, I think. Did she? Yes, she did and did that and a couple of other songs. Um, I have to say, I'm sorry to say this, I shouldn't speak ill of the recently passed, but um, was some way past her best, I think. Oh. But um, But having said that, was treated kindly by the audience at later in Jules Holland mm. because she was a part of history with Woodstock, wasn't yeah. she, really? So so she certainly yeah. made a mark. I rather like Brand New Key. I think it's very sweet. Was she on Dandelion here, the John Peel record label? Part of me thinks she might have been. I'm not sure. Not sure at all. I, I, I can't remember. I think I think it wouldn't surprise me if mm. that if that was on Dandelion over here because it is the sort of um, sort of John Peel. What was the show that he had on Radio London? What was it called? Um, oh, the Perfumed Garden. Yes, it, it very much that kind of that kind of vibe. I think that that sort of thing. It wouldn't surprise me if it had been on that. Hmm. I remember Melanie. She was considered a bit of an eccentric and an hmm. outsider, but she was always a staple at festivals throughout yes. the early seventies. But I have a strange fact: her children, when aged seven and six 
released a cover of the um, awful There's No One Quite Like Grandma. Oh, really? Goodness uh, me. That was not a song that needed to be covered, can I just it point out? 20, it reached number 27 in Canada in 1982. That's very strange. That, so is, that was, is a very odd odd. It's thing. an odd fact, isn't it? I mean, she was linked with two strange songs, the roller skate one and the, the dreadful There's No One Quite Like Grandma. I mean, they shouldn't have made that record once. Never rhymed twice. But anyway, goodness <laughs> exactly. me. It's, um, it's a sort of a... Um, She's described it as an old first kind of old thirties tune, and there is something about it. There's something rather um, there is something rather sort of seventy eight ish about it, which I do rather like. I must say, mm. it's a, it's an interesting curio, I would say. Yes, and well, finally this, this this week in our list of those that have departed, Marlena Shaw, a wonderful singer who crossed boundaries of jazz soul. Mm. R&B, perhaps more well-known in the US than in the UK, Jules, but I know you're a big fan. Yeah, I love my Lena Shaw. I thought she was brilliant. Um, I've got a best of of hers that I play pretty regularly at home on vinyl. It's really, really good. She's made some absolutely quality records and I'm so sorry to hear of her passing also sorry that nobody could seem to to quite work out in the press how old she was um there was some debate as to whether or not she was 81 or 84 from what I could I could see but anyway um she um she was um she was often sampled in hip-hop music it felt like she stayed relevant and actually interestingly the first time I ever heard of Marlena Shaw um song was California Soul got used on a KFC advert in the early noughties, early to mid noughties. And they released a couple of compilation CDs of, of sort of KFC style, you know, sort of soul, because mm. they used mm. a lot of those 60s, 70s soul records in the in the adverts. And, you know, it just goes to show how people describe discover music in different ways. Um um, she just she everything that she seemed to sing. Her version of Wade in the Water is so fantastic. I, I've heard that at so many Northern Soul clubs, and there's always someone that hasn't heard that version. And absolutely loves it. Um, she was uh, she'd been on every sort of decent record label as well. She's been on Chess. She's been on Cadet. She's been on Blue Note. She's been on Verve. I mean, a really quality singer. That's that's you know re- really sort of. Um, just just a really credible singer, but also just an incredible voice as well. I mean, I was sorry that she didn't have more hits, really. She um she continued to perform and record. Um, I, I, again, um, the, like you say, these people turning up at festivals. Um, I always enjoy these somewhat ersatz kind of appearances by former big-name singers at random festivals. She was one of the performers at the North Sea Jazz Festival in the Netherlands in 2007. I really uh-huh. love the thought of Marlena Shaw just tipping up there and banging out the hits she's she was still releasing records up to 2004 as well i mean she she's still recording albums they re-released california soul in 2004 um as a single off the back of um off the back of that kfc advert it never been released as a single before so um so yeah i'm uh i'm i just think that, that if you can find a decent best of a marlena shore out there um it's really worth digging into because she's done some cracking music yeah, I've been listening to her album, The Spice of Life, this week. It's mm, simply great, magnificent. It? Ten songs, 31 minutes, which is always good for me. And, um, yeah, 1969, great set of songs, beautifully produced. But um, now you've said it, I think she would be someone that a, a greatest hits compilation would suit. So I'm just, yeah. again, written on my little post-it note here, um, under Get Down Services, I've written Marlene Shaw greatest hits. So I'm going to listen to that tomorrow as well. Um, thank you for being with us this week. Thank you very much. Very much agree. Always nice to be here with you. 
and back to Marlena Shaw to play us out, Jules. Yes, I couldn't resist playing this. I um, I wanted to play on Marlena Shaw. I nearly went for her excellent song, uh, Woman of the Ghetto, in which, the, like I said, the, the hip-hop sampling, her ging ding at the end was sampled by, uh, Remember, by Remember Me by Blue Boy, which I'm sure, um, sure you might remember as a big club hit from the late 90s. But um, I think this is such a... I love the piano at the beginning of this. This is almost up there with Minnie Ripperton for me in terms of kind of sunny soulful sort of i just feel like the sun is shining as soon as i press play on this record i think it's wonderful um it is uh, written by one again one of the great powerhouse songwriting teams of uh of of the golden soul era it was a um an ashford and simpson number um it was originally um the b-side of the messenger single window shopping in 1967 and it was issued as a single in the fifth dimension in late 68 um Marvin and Tammy had a go at it as well. Their last single together when released in early 1970. But this, for me, for all of those, all of those songs have their merits. I think that this version is just the best. It's Marlena Shaw and California songs. Like a sound you hear that lingers in your ear, but you can't forget from sundown to sunset. It's all in the air. You hear it everywhere. No matter what you do.
been listening to a parish council production. I'll never know. <laughs>